In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Poor uh, David, uh, King David, thought he had it made and all things were well. He admired his own house and he thought, you know, I have this nice house. The Lord needs a house. And the Lord gets back with him and said, did I say I needed a house? I mean, we've been going all through this and the Lord explains how much more there is to do. And he says, I'll get myself a house. I don't need your house of cedar, but the house is going to be built after you're gone. So good luck with all that. It's going to be my way, not your way. Poor David. But you know what? He was a servant of the Lord for his part and in his time. Speaking of a house of cedar, I've brought a big chip of cedar. It is a cross-section of a cedar tree. It smells wonderful. You probably can see the crystallized sap on there. Can you see the shiny, glittery part on there? I'll tell you how I got this. Uh, it came kind of as a, uh, a family sharing at the uh, wedding of my daughter, Hannah. She married a guy who uh, works at a tree company. Uh, the, a company in uh, North Carolina that cares for trees all around the country. And uh, he even, uh, that company even did our crepe myrtles, I noticed, last year and got them all trimmed up. Bartlett. And uh, at the Bartlett place, he had these made, or they were already there on hand. And I'll tell you how he used them. It has nothing to do with the scriptures or the sermon, but to me it's a very fun story. Uh, he had them arranged, and instead of a wedding cake, they had uh, all these little cupcakes uh, on these different tiers that were built up of these cedar chips. So, and so much fun. And the cupcakes looked like mushrooms of different varieties. He's kind of a mycologist by avocation and a, a uh, tree pathologist by his vocation. But what a wonderful scene with this nature and this tree and part of their life together uh, already in the dessert for the reception. But I brought the uh, tree chip for another reason as well, because of some of the things I'm hearing out of these scriptures. It reminded me, first of all, of the quotable quotation of Abraham Lincoln, which was, given six hours to chop a tree, I would spend the first two sharpening the axe. That might have been the very quotation that gave rise to Stephen Covey or Covey's idea for the 1989 book published Seven Habits for Highly Effective People. A book widely read and somewhat widely followed, I suppose. <laughs> But in the seventh habit, he nicknamed it sharpening the saw. A very important message. It came from a story of two woodcutters, one of them young and strong and 
zealous, and the other one older and probably wiser. They had a contest for a day's work who would produce the most usable lumber. And they got uh, going, and ever so often the young man vigorously working would pause and listen. And sometimes in his pausing he would hear nothing from the other side of the hill where the older woodcutter was working. And he thought, I've got this. That old guy, he has to take all these rests. And at the end of the day, it was the older woodcutter that had produced more. And the young man said, I heard so many times you were, I heard nothing. How did you accomplish that? And he said, yes, I, I would get out of breath and tired and I would pause. And while I was resting, I would sharpen the saw. And so with each stroke, he was more efficiently, more effectively getting his work done. Of course, in a book like Seven Habits uh, for Highly Effective People, this would be the reminder that there are ways to take care of ourselves. And in that chapter, Covey reminds us that there are uh, matters of, uh, of physical care, of mental care, of emotional and social care, and of spiritual care. And he goes through all kinds of suggestions for how to sharpen the saw so that when you did get back to the things that you were really responsible to get done and wanted to get done, that you would be a different kind of worker. You would have different kinds of relationships. You would have different, a different sort, a higher sort of clarity about your work. I got a really nice picture sent uh, by Father Bates. Uh, Stuart and Lisa were pictured there in the Rocky Mountains uh, and uh, ready for a hike. And don't you know they're sharpening the saw? the saw of their own being, their own soul, because they're in nature. They're getting exercise. They're probably eating some wonderful food. And they will come back in a different way. Maybe I should be scared. If he comes back that rested and that sharp, I thought he was already plenty sharp. But I'm glad. I'm glad that Father Bob and Father Stewart and all of us are, are, have the, the beautiful benefit of taking some time off and sharpening the saw. I want to get into uh, the matter of spiritually sharpening the saw because all those things we can do, study and exercise and rest and good nutrition are all important. And in addition to those things, prayer. Prayer is a way of spiritually getting ready in a new way for living. And whereas Stephen Covey is writing a book about effectiveness and success and productivity, what we discover as we practice the sharpening that is prayer is that we're doing it not so much for ourselves but as an offering to God. What we are finding is that we were meant to connect to God in prayer. It's not just a means to the end of being a better person 
it is an end in itself because the one who we are meeting is our creator, our source, our guide, our goal of all that is. And when we give glory by setting apart time to be with God, then we discover the source of being itself. Now Jesus gives us the example of the disciples just having been out two by two to teach about the kingdom and to pray for people's healing. They're coming back and he says, you're tired, let's take some time, let's rest, let's go to a a quiet place, a deserted place and rest a while. They get in the boat and they go across the lake. But the people recognized the angle of the boat and where they were going. And they ran around the shore of the lake. And they got there before him. So as it turns out, the only rest and the only deserted place that Jesus and his twelve were able to enjoy was in the boat itself. That was their deserted place. It was cut short. Because when Jesus gets to recognizing the scene on the shore, what he sees are people in need of a shepherd. And so he's ready to get them back to work. So that sharpening of the saw across the lake was all they got. And then Jesus was busy with teaching them, as the gospel says, many things. And Folks kept getting get brought. They were so sick, they were brought on mats, and Jesus healed them. Sharp enough to do the work of the kingdom of God. And just to reinforce the point that what we are up to when we are praying is not just making ourselves a better, more efficient person, but becoming who we are. And becoming who God makes us to be, I turn to the epistle. Because in this wonderful epistle, Paul describes two amazing things that are accomplished in Christ. One is a connection with those from whom we are estranged. And the other is a connection to the Son and through the Son to the Father with the Spirit. Imagine being connected to the human family in a way that's so much better than we usually treat one another and then being connected to God's own self. What Paul says is that uh, we have this ancient feud between the Jews and the Gentiles And between them is a dividing wall. It's really a matter of us and them, Paul says. And we could extrapolate from that. It is us and them in every way that we come up with. Who watches the right news station? They're not like us. Who is aware of the things I am aware of? Who votes with me? Who walks along with me? 
who agrees with me. It is a matter of us and them everywhere we turn. And we never are healed through that kind of thinking. It is at our most superficial in terms of spirituality that we are able to set up so many barriers and to latch on to divisions. Surface levels of our mind are quite comfortable with dualities here, there, and everywhere and very uneasy with the resolution of polarities. I am very familiar with this, unfortunately. You know, sometimes I'm so smug about it, I get the attitude, well, I could agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. (laughs) There is a, a different way of being, and prayer in its various forms, and including this liturgy on Sundays, is a way of mitigating our tendency to divide. What, uh, listen to some of the language of the epistle. Paul writes, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. He says, uh, He has abolished the law and its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross. He also says, uh, so, so he came and he proclaimed peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, both of us have access, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. Now let's play a visual game. First of all, this, this uh, imagine you have a piece of paper and on this piece of paper in the very center you write the, the small word sun in the color of your choice, of course. S-O-N. And then you go to the O and you superimpose an S and then down from there, almost like a crossword puzzle, but the S and the O are overlapping. You write spirit. And then up above, you can eyeball where to go so that the last letter R superimposed on the S and the O and you see the word written above Father. The Son is connected to the Father and the Spirit. The Spirit is connected to the Son and the Father. They are all one. Now get a new sheet of paper and write us, I guess it would be over here for you, on the left side and them on the right side. And in the middle, a big gray block, a dividing wall. This is what we do all the time. But if you take that picture and put it on 
the other one. As the horizontal. The sun, who is the cornerstone, is powerful enough to break down that dividing wall and make one that human community and also connects us to himself, to the Father, and to the Spirit. In this way, the cross takes on so many extra symbols and so many points of contemplation. And look, look at how our cross over the altar adds to it. This is such an unusual cross and a wonderful one for whether you're in this nave or that transept or that transept or you're singing to the glory of God back here, you can see the cross because of the way it's, it's figured. And you can imagine that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit there. At the joint is the Son. And those crossbeams almost form a kind of compass so that people from the north and the south and the east and the west are all joined to be one in the Son. It's a universal collection. But we have to attune ourselves to the way the Son connects us. I also like how the Celtic circle that goes into this cross going to, on two planes forms almost a sphere like the world. The sun transforms our whole world. And so take some time to find out the ways that you want to, do to, to reconfigure or tweak your sharpening skills. How would you like to sharpen the saw? Would you like to do it with your physical life, your mental life, your emotional and social life? Would you like to do so with your spiritual life? By praying, by aligning yourself, by discovering through Christ who it is you are in him. I think this would be the way for us to discover the joy that is ours in Christ. And so now, to him who is our peace, who is our cornerstone, who breaks down every wall that divides us, to him who gives us access in the Spirit to the Father, be ascribed as is most justly due, all might, majesty, dominion, and splendor, henceforth and forever. Amen.